Hallelujah. Thank God for today's strength. I really love how we spend time to pray. In fact, I wanted to continue. Um, but banner has gone out. So let's look at God's redemptive plan today. And I'll try to do um, the much that I can in the short time that we have. So while I was studying for this, um, for this teaching, I remembered my growing up experience. We had, I had an older cousin of mine that was living with me. She used to attend um, one of the holiness churches, you know, that one, holiness movement churches was where she was attending. And she was really into it, you know. Um, she didn't wear earrings. She didn't wear, tra- in fact, she didn't wear anything that had jean material, not even trousers and all, you know. Making air, that one was far-fetched, you know. And there was a, there was a way the clothes were. So she would always preach to me. So when she would preach to me, she would expect me to give my life to Christ. But I've given my life to Christ. Right? So she would not understand why I was not giving my life to Christ. Because all the things that she associated with being saved, I was, I was not doing them. Right? I, I, was, I had earrings and, you know, would dress in a kind of, I'd not thrown my clothes away. So, it was a mission to save my soul, right? That was, it was a mission that she gave to herself. And I remember one day, you know, she, and she used to sing, she used to sing a lovely song. It was a song that made me remember. There's a great change since I born again. Don't ask me about why it's not correct. That's the way it's sung. There's a great change since I born again. There's a great change since I born again. There's a great change since I born again. And then she'll take it to high pitch. Things I used to do, I do them no more. Where I used to go, I go there no more. And something about where she, who she used to be her friend now, she has ditched the person and all those kind of things. You know, she didn't even try with like my older sister. I think she believed that that one was a lost soul. Right? <laughs> but at least this one is close to the gate of heaven. Let's save this one. Right? So, she would, she would sing those songs and admonish me and, um, and try to get me born again. I didn't know very much, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I was born again. Right? I didn't see much of the things that I was doing that I did no more, in a sense. Because I didn't also do much before. Right? <laughs> you know? Or like my sister that did much. I, I didn't have much to do. You see? So, <laughs> I didn't do much. So, there wasn't, you know, I'm like, ah. so the only, one day, she, I was really, she really worried myself because I was, there has to be change. Nothing has changed about you. There has to be change. Okay. So, I removed, I took all my jewelries and everything. I put them on my bed. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm not going to wear a ring again, no. God, I really want to be born again now. And, and you know, in my, in my, as young as I was and as naive as I was at that time, God spoke to me. And one of my friends says that God speaks to me the way I talk to people. God spoke to me and said, are you going to clear this thing from my front? Because I have better things to say to you. <laughs> because I didn't ask you for a ring. 
Can you clear these things from my front? Because I have better things to say to you. So that's how I collected my earring. And I didn't know how to explain to Ada. God said he doesn't want my earring because maybe he wanted your own, right? But I, the more I grew in the faith, the more I realized that the meaning of being saved is quite lost on a number, on very many Christians. The idea of being saved is not something that is, is quite as understood as we expect it to be throughout the body of Christ. So people associate, you know, being saved with a set of, with do's and don'ts, a set of doctrines, right? So if you are saved, you don't do certain things anymore and you start doing certain things. So if you are saved, they associate it with, um, you used to behave in a certain way and then you don't behave in a certain way anymore. You know why that's not that's not being saved? Because if you if you do wrong and you are punished enough, you will stop behaving in that way that you have been behaving before. So being saved is not being is not turning a new leaf. It's not doing some things before and no longer doing them. Because if you have been killing before, if you go to prison when you come out, you're unlikely to kill anymore. So <laughs> you understand, you know. So it's not it's not exactly. This, that's not what being born again or being saved is. And we need to understand what being saved is in order to get the idea of God's redemptive plan. Because one word that is very, very pivotal to salvation is the word redemption. Redemption means to buy back, right? It means to, it means to that's what it means to redeem something, to buy something back. So a debt is owed. And then you buy that thing back. Why did God buy back? You know, Pastor Rami was saying last week that the idea of um, God's plan for man, the reason why God called man, God had called man in him before the foundations of the world. It's not, it's not, it's not after the fall and after Jesus came, or it's not after the fall that God thought about what to do, and then when Jesus came, he now decided to call you. No, you have been called in him before the foundations of the earth. Let's just quickly look at what happened in Eden. I'm going to read a few verses in Genesis 1 and also in Genesis 3. So Genesis 1, in the beginning God created what? The heavens and the earth. Will it tell us anything about heaven? You see, the whole of Bible, summary of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is Genesis 1 to 3 and Revelations 20 to 22. That's the whole story of the Bible. That is the whole purpose of God. The, the full counsel of God. Genesis 1 to 3, Revelations 20 to 22. Full counsel of God. So in Genesis, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. Right? We don't hear much about the heavens. We hear a lot about the heavens in Revelation. Right? We don't hear much about the heavens in Genesis 1. But we hear a lot about the earth. Because that's when God instituted in time his eternal counsel for man. So, earth was without form, void, spirit of God hovering over the waters. Creation began, right? Before this time, this is not the beginning of God 
all of existence or even creation. This is, this is the beginning of the earth in a sense or creation or life on the earth. But this is not the beginning of creation. Because by this time, there was the heavens and God in the heavens. And there were spiritual beings and spiritual activities in the heavens. How do I know? Because when I get to Revelation, it's not when all those creations were created. When you read in Revelation, it's not, it didn't say, and on the third day, he created the 24 elders. Did you read that? Then on the sixth day, he created the cherubims. He didn't say that. They had been there since eternal past. I don't know what the clock of heaven looks like. I don't know when creation started in heaven. The only thing I know is that God has no beginning, no ending of days. So God does not exist in time. He stepped into time and manifested creation for a purpose. He started in the heavens and after an age, he moved to the earth. And another age will come. It will collapse this present heavens and earth and reveal a new one. And man has a destiny in that new one. So he created this one to train man into his destiny in the new one. An heir, as long as he's a slave, does not differ from a servant. Is under tutors and governors until a time appointed. Alright? Genesis 1.26 Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And let him have what? Dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing, thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. Oh, this is one of my best scriptures in the Bible. Because they come to you and tell you that as a female, your destiny is like female crocodile. You know, like Adam was walking in the garden. Then they brought lion. They say lion is not good for man. Then they brought elephant. They say elephant is not good for man. Then the God now said, okay, let me create a she elephant equal to Adam. You understand? Because in your mind now and how they preach it to you, every animal was in pairs. So as they did not see anybody to pair Adam with, then they now think of Eve. And that's where all that teaching of you don't have any destiny other than to be a helpmate. That's where it came from. And the perversions around it that created injustice and oppression. And somebody will listen to say, she's a feminist. Well, I am not. In the radical sense. In fact, there was one day while we were still in Lekki Church, Pastor Monica was preaching. And she said, if you have issues with submission, raise up your hand. And I raised my hand. And my husband said, ah, stop it. I said, no, let's, let me confess so that maybe I will be free. <laughs> then when we were going, we said, you disgrace me. I said, I did not disgrace you. Let me confess so that maybe I will be free. Because sometimes my Bible is there. Wives submit your own. I can't do anything about it. And the only person can you read and say, yes, go and submit to him. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't teach that wives don't submit to your husband because I don't really like it. I mean, he's still a good man. Doesn't require much. 
It doesn't require much. It's just me that my wife material is one, one yard of cheap china. You know, they say wife material. I'm not having much. One yard of cheap china. I'm just not having much. And I'm not because of that going to say that Bible is not true or that standard is not the standard. I'm going to preach wife submit yourselves unto your own husband. It's not the same thing as the destiny of every woman. Without which she cannot have fulfillment and accomplishment in life. Is to find a man. That's a stupid thing. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said male and female. He created them. Before it then. Both of them to have dominion. If you read in Genesis 5. He called them mankind. The two of them. He called them mankind. Alright. So let me know the real. I'm getting passionate. Okay, so he blessed them, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? Let's go to Genesis 3 and then read some scriptures there. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Let me back up a bit. Genesis 2. Let's see what God really said. And how many trees were in the midst of the garden? All right. I love Genesis. The history of the heavens and the earth. Verse 4. When they were created in the day that God made the heavens and the earth. Before any plant was in the earth. And before any herb in the field had grown. Okay. So if you read Genesis 1. There were trees created. Weren't there? There were herbs created. Weren't there? There were animals created. Were there not? And there were human beings created. If you read in Genesis 2, not all of these things had been manifest in the earth realm, on the physical plane. They started manifesting one by one. It didn't mean it wasn't created. That helps you know that the only realm of existence is not the earth. Adam already existed in God before he was manifest in the flesh, in the physical dimension on the earth realm. Same thing with some trees and some plants. Alright? A mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Verse 6, verse 7. Then God formed man of the dust of the ground. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. Verse 8. Who planted a garden? Verse 9. Who made out of the ground to grow every tree? Thank you. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow. There's a reason why I'm pointing your attention to these things. I'll get there. That is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was where? Where was the tree of life? In the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now let's go to let's go back to chapter three. Chapter three, the woman said in verse two, We may eat 
the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Was that what God said? Was that what God said? How many trees were in the midst of the garden? There were two trees in the midst of the garden. Which tree did God say don't eat? Did God say don't touch it? So here was Eve saying that God had said don't eat of any tree that is in the middle of the garden. Error number one. Number two. God even said don't touch it. So this shows me that Eve did not fully understand the will or the counsel or the mind of God. And then the serpent said, oh, you shall not surely die. Right? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, in other words, God is withholding information from you and can't be trusted. In the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree of that, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and I usually ask myself, did she close eyes before? There's a kind of conversation that the devil will have with you and it will open your eyes to what your eyes are not supposed to be open to. You know, I normally say there was a period of my life when I went through a phase of depression. At this time, I had a career that was good. I was traveling the world. I lived in a good place. I had a car. And there was one day I was reflecting and saying to my husband that I am sadder now than I was when we were homeless. There was a period in our marriage when we were homeless. Homeless to the point of staying in one room with all our belongings in his friend's house. And I was pregnant, heavily pregnant. And I was very happy that year. I was very, very happy. In fact, it was like I was drunk. It's like people were ashamed for me on my behalf. I did not, I did not have shame. She married. She didn't, you know, nothing. Now look at it. She and her husband as talk. I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't have bandwidth for sadness. It was, it was, it was very strange. My, with my big stomach, I would cross express in Lagos. No car, nothing. This is how I would do it in Ojota. I would push my stomach across the road. I've used pregnancy to change conductor in Oshodi for change before. Yes, my colleague wanted to faint. I used my big belly, I pursued conductor in Oshodi for my change. I'll cross express. One day, I fell down, crossing beggar express, with big stomach. As I fell down and rode, I got up. I was going home by myself. When my husband came, as I just saw it, I started crying. <laughs> I've fallen down since so. I've slept. I've woken up. <laughs> but as he just came, I said, ah, TLC, this name. Hey! He said, what? But I said, I fell down. He, the guy wanted to faint. He thought it was, I was falling down since 8 o'clock. Poor guy is just coming at 10.30. So it's, it's called attention seeking. I supposed to be pregnant with me. But that time when I fell down, I got up. I didn't even waste time. It didn't take me one minute. I didn't even realize that something's supposed to happen. I got up and walked home. All the way home. And I went to go and lie down and sleep. But at a time when I had a good job, 
my career was was good. I had car. I lived in a three bedroom, all in suit. Good husband and good children. I was depressed. And that was when I started to understand what it means by eyes open that Satan told Eve. Because there are some things that the glory of God will shut your eyes to. When you go and have conversation you are not supposed to have. And that conversation sometimes is not literal. It's not that Adami came to tell me something. It's just a journey that you take in your, in your mind. You come back and your life looks dark. You look for God, you can't find him. Because you have communed with something you are not supposed to commune with. So her eyes opened. She saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to her eyes. A tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her. And he ate. Then both of them were then their eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering and they heard the sound of the lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord among the trees of the garden and the lord called unto adam and said where are you he said i heard your voice in the garden i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself and he said who told you who told you? In verse chapter 2, verse 25, you will read that both of them were naked and not ashamed. All of a sudden, there was now shame because of nakedness. And shame was now driving them from the presence of God. Who told you that you are naked? We don't have time to read all of that scripture down. But it's a very familiar story. You know what happened. The curse then came in. They were driven from the garden. And this is where a lot of people think that God started scrambling. What are we now going to do? They have already eaten the fruits. They have died so that I have to do something because now, you know, death has come and death has entered the world. No, that's not the situation. It is true that when they ate, they fell. That is very true. What I'm trying to establish today is that the story of your salvation, the story of redemption is not something that started or that is entirely premised on the fall of man. This is my understanding of what happened in Eden. God had created man in his image and in his likeness. Just the way you give birth to a child and the child has your image and your likeness. There are a lot of things in the natural realm that teach us about the realm of the spirit. You know, even the marriage, the coming together of Adam and Eve, you know, um, no, it was, it was Paul that said Christ and the church, you know, I, um, man and his wife, I'm talking about Christ and the church. There are a lot of things in the physical realm that are types and shadows of spiritual or heavenly realities. God, the type, the, how I say, the typology of bringing forth offsprings in the earth is a spiritual reality that God used species, animal species, and humankind on earth to typify. Do you understand what I just said? God created man in his image and his likeness. Have you read Matthew chapter 1? Is it Luke? Okay, let's look at Luke then. Luke 3.38. 
So this was the enumeration of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then he traced it all the way. All the way back. If you, if you read in that look, that look three talks about Jesus began his ministry at 30 years of age, verse 23. And then, you know, we talked about, uh, being the son of Joseph, the son of Haley. Then he started going all the way down. The son of this, the son of that, the son of that, all the way back. And he said, the son of Enosh, the son of Zeph, the son of Adam, the son of who? The son of who? Son of God. So the creation of Adam in the image and in the likeness of God was God giving birth to himself. God gave birth to himself because the image of, you know how motivational speakers put it, the image of lion is what? Lion. The image of man is what? It is a man. A man cannot born lion. You give birth according to your DNA, according to your spiritual DNA. God gave birth according to his own spiritual DNA. Divine nature. Divine likeness. And that's what, it was that thing that Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was saying, is it possible that a full grown man will then return to the womb and be born again? Because Jesus said, except you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know? Is that not so? John chapter 3 verse 3. And then he said, what are you saying? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? And then Jesus took it a step further. Except you are born of water and spirit. Because that which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. That which is born of the spirit is what? Spirit. That is why when Adam was born, we didn't see him. Because he is primarily spirit. Do you understand? They had to give him body in Genesis 2. So you are primarily a spirit being. You are just having a temporary, physical, or earthly experience. Not all spirit beings are destined to walk time or the earth. But if according to the predetermined counsel of God, you are destined to walk the earth, then you are given a body for that purpose. So, Adam was born spirit. He was a spirit being. And as a spirit being, he was born with dominion. Because the child of a king is a king. He was born with dominion. People think that the kingdom of God means the geographical location that is heaven. No. Kingdom is a combination of two words. King and dominion. So, Jesus was telling Nicodemus that for you to enter the king's dominion again, you need to be born of the spirit. You need to be born according to God. It cannot just be that all that there is to you is flesh. Your spirit has to come alive. Because it is your spirit that can fulfill that destiny. So, Adam was born alive. Right? It was not stillborn. When death passed to all men through Adam... According to Romans chapter 5, I think verse 17, that from Adam, death passed on to all men. What that means is that we were born, still born. I don't know whether you understand what I just said. Spiritually, human beings are now born dead. In their spirits. They are only case. When the curse went into effect, he said, flesh, you came from dust, and from dust, you will return. 
That is the cause. Do you understand? When you are under the cause, you are born to toil. You remember that cause? You are born to toil when you are under the when you are under that cause, you are born to toil. You are born to till the ground. When you are born into the kingdom, God plants the trees and puts you in the garden. It's two different things. It's two different worlds. It's two different consciousnesses. You see now why salvation is not changing, turning a new leaf, having new behavior. That's not what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved is that your spirit is alive and you are conscious in a different realm. You are awake in a different realm than this one. In the realm where you really belong. And that's why Paul will say, though our outward man is perishing. Because he, have, he has woken up. He has woken up. He's he alive in, in the realm where he truly belongs and comes from. So when he's seen adversity in this world... The way he interprets it is different from the way you interpret it. If you ask Paul, why is your life like this? Why are you not progressing? What is going on? Is an outward man is perishing. Because he's seen differently than you are seeing. You, is serpent that gave you your own vision. Defined achievement. Defined success. Defined pursuit. That's what he did for Eve. Let me tell you what is at the root of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is my personal belief. First of all, I believe that God deliberately planted that tree there. Because he wanted to train his child into handling the authority of his kingdom. This is the the easiest way that I can explain it. This girl now. As though I vomited her. She already bears my name. In a sense, she already has everything that I have. But will I be a responsible human being and a responsible mother to give her the key of the car now and say, drive and go to school? No. What will happen if I do that? Who will I destroy? I will destroy her. She's going to have an accident before she gets to that gate. And if she survives it, Maybe she's probably maimed for life. Woe to you, O land, when your king is what? Is a child. That's my, I didn't read that in the Bible, though. So, and I, I will, you know, like Paul will say, this one is from me. This one is from the Lord. But, when I look at scripture, and I look at the fact that even Jesus, Bible says, even Jesus, the son of God, Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing, see what I'm talking about, in bringing how many? Many sons to what? To glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect how? Through sufferings. Suffering is not always not having something to eat. When something is good to look at, and what else is Eve uh, notice? Pleasant to the eyes, and what? desirable and you turn away from it sometimes there's no suffering that is greater than that too you turn away from it only because god has said that is suffering that is suffering again let me tell you something that i think you know i said i would tell you something let me tell you another thing i think although the bible actually says so that adam was not deceived it was eve that was deceived This is what I think. I think Adam already saw that tree before the serpent spoke to Eve. 
my thoughts, I'm not saying that. Scripture, scripture didn't say that. The only thing scripture said is that Adam was not deceived. If Adam was not deceived, I think that Adam in his in full knowledge of that what that tree had to offer partook of the tree. I think Adam had grown to a place because he was in the garden before Eve. He was probably having fellowship before Eve. He was probably eating of the tree of life before Eve. He possibly had greater spiritual stature than Eve. So he actually probably saw the tree for what it was, for what it really was. And he was resisting the temptation in the name of Jesus. I won't eat out of this tree. And then he will run away. Because where was he? He was keeping his distance from that tree. He was keeping his distance from that tree. This tree in the name of Jesus. You know how you have... I, I remember one time, back in school then, I had a crush on a boy. I was like, ah, Pastor, talk about you've lost somebody. Let's, yes, yes, yes. Yes, I had a crush on the boy. This guy, he was a good guy. Good he was a good person. He's not, not seen on his, not smoking cigarette. He's not a bad person. He's a good Christian. So, we were in the same executive at the time. Ex- executive. You understand? Executive fellowship. It's not spiritual people they put in executive fellowship. We were in the same executive fellowship. And my father just died. And I was in a kind of fellowship that is like soda camp. Our president there, he doesn't see, he doesn't hear, he doesn't. He's like soda somebody. If he said go, you are just going. No emotion, nothing. If your father die, you come to fellowship next tomorrow and you pray for six hours. That's how they know you are advancing. He cannot, you understand? He's not seeing earthly things at all. So here was this brother that was sensitive and nice and helping me to go through this difficult time. And me, I was busy loving him. And yeah, there was mutual. And I knew it was coming. And so before it came, I had to ask God, Hello, daddy. You know, some, some of you used to deceive yourself. That's why you're always in trouble. You used to deceive yourself. You say, there's nothing. He's just my colleague. <laughs> there's nothing. Ah, okay. It will be better for you to admit that there's something now and deal with it now before you get to the bus stop where you are completely lost and you can't be called back. So, I said, God, how far? He said, ah, no, there's no road there. There's no, no way. You can't go there. I said, okay. If I'm not supposed to go there, then you have to do two things. Number one, you must not talk. Number two, you have to extinguish this fire that is burning in my teenage soul. And the Lord said, no. You will love him and you will love me and you will choose one of us. I thought it was the most wicked thing that God could do to his baby girl child. Especially after she just lost her. Because my father was my first boyfriend. After I just, as in, I was really into my dad, and my dad, my dad used to come to every two, two weeks, and say, I'm passing by. University of, <laughs> I am passing by. He's always passing by, like every two, two weeks. And he will come into my hostel, sit on my bed, and we will gist, gist for hours. I remember when he first died, and my mom came. That's how we sat down, looking at each other. Was like, she would say, well, I would say, yes, ma'am. She doesn't say much. She doesn't, she doesn't have many things to say. She's even better. She's way better now. She used to be a lot quiet. So I think in her mind, ah, this girl, she'll miss her daddy. Let me try and go and do what her daddy used to do. I remember then, before I entered Ife, my, it was only my style that was there. My dad would say, go and see this girl. He, he has been going every week. 
Man, I don't say, go and see this girl, go and see this girl. One day, she came back from church, maybe like 3 p.m. Now, and I said, even if it's 6 o'clock today, you will get to Ife, you go. She said, top one motor. That's my mom. That's, let's go to Ife. I ate. <laughs> my mom can drive Jagaban driving, as in, ah. She drove that day, one driving like, because we got, she left home like 3.30. We got to Ife like 5. We were living in Accra at the time. And that's how she dropped soup and things from her. Well, sure, okay, God bless with you. God bless you. Bye. Visiting has finished. <laughs> she now said, Talk about So that means I want to enter Korea before it is night. So hold your seatbelt very well. Ah, the soldiers that stopped us on the road, they were calling said, Come and see oh, it's a woman that is driving you. It's a woman that is driving that kind of driving. Come and see. My father, if my father drives, he will even tell you that if he like he can come down from the car and play ten. He will never pass hundred, but not Momsi. So, this was me. I just lost my first. And then there was this guy that was showing me all this attention. So, like I said, God said, you will, you will love him and you love me and you will choose one. And I remember that I went through a very, a suffering season of my life. It was suffering because I can't tell you the full gist, but it was a lot of suffering. I had to say no and then go back to my hostel and cry and, you know. All kinds of things happened. I left school, went on IT, came back. When I came back from IT, all this was like two years because of ASU strike. Some of you are going through suffering now. It's called suffering, ASU strike. It's, it's a real suffering. <laughs> but you are things, you know, when I look back, eh, every, the people that went to four years, some of them have not, have, are not, they went to Unilag. Unilag was in school then. Sorry, those of you are in Unilag now. All of us are playing together. In Ife then, uh-uh, my matric number expired. You don't understand. Like, I came to school. They said there's no accommodation. This matric number is not supposed to be in school. I had to ask Zuma, are you okay? Because am I asu? Do you understand? So, Ife was a school where people spent seven years. And then in Unilag, like, you do only four. Because people there were normal. But here in our own school, Aluta Continua, Victoria Atata. Now, everything has leveled. I don't know whether you understand. So, I'm just trying to say to someone, Asu Strike is not the end of your life. Don't be super frustrated. God has a plan for it even. So, I went to, I went away. After two years, I came back to school, did my IT and all that. And when I heard that this guy was looking for me, I was running away. Like, Adam was running from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I was really running. And one day, running could not help running again. We had to run, as we were both running, we ran and jumped. Ah, hello, I had to pretend as if I wasn't exactly running. How, you know, when he left that day, you know what I realized? I was not the same girl that I fell in love. That love of two years ago, that girl was gone. Suffering changes you. Suffering makes you grow. So I believe that God put the tree of, and as Adam was running from that tree and resisting that temptation, assuming that my assumptions are correct based on my inference from scriptures, I believe that it was growth for him. He was growing into his mandate, into, into the authority of the kingdom. That be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. That mandate of God over his life, that glory of God he was supposed to come into, I believe he was growing into it. He was growing in responsibility and authority was being released in increasing measures according to his growth in grace in responsibility in wisdom you know how jesus came to the earth and the bible says and the child grew so adam too was growing adam too was growing until a time came when he could no longer run away from the tree 
I wanted to also quickly make reference to, I think, Hebrews chapter 12, where the Bible says that God trains every child. Aha! It says, whom God loves, is he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If we endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? So the point I'm trying to make is that God, Adam was God's son, right? And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had a purpose in the garden to train Adam into the full stature of his destiny as God's son. Now, Adam failed that test, right? And he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was driven out of the garden. The ground was cursed for his sake. And then the whole earth, the whole earth came under a curse. How do I know? Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 19 to 21. The earnest expectation of what? The creation eagerly waits for what? The revealing of the sons of God or the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So creation was also subjected. Creation, see, 22. The whole creation is groaning and labors with bed pangs together until now. Not that all, not only that, we also, who are the first fruits of the spirit, we ourselves, we are groaning, eagerly waiting for our what? Adoption. The redemption of our bodies. I'm going to get there. Creation is also groaning. Creation also fell. It was not only man that fell. Everything that was supposed to be under the dominion of man went a wall, a wire. And, you know, God, Bible talked about in Revelation 13, I think verse 8, that about the, about how um, the lamp of God had been slain before the foundations of the earth. So, the question that somebody wants to ask is, if the lamp of God was slain before the foundations of the earth, that means that God knew that Adam was going to was going was going to fall, was not going to make it. And then if you read also in Revelations chapter one, chapter two and three, you will see consistently how the Lord will say, He that overcometh, he will be given the rod of iron to rule the nations. He that overcometh will be given a white, a new name. He that overcometh. So the issue of overcoming is the issue of coming into inheritance. Do you understand what I just said? Because you don't give inheritance to babies. So God started a family. But God can give himself. Because he is our spiritual inheritance and our reward. He can't give himself to babies. So he, he started a system to train us. That system was not to make us fall. It was to make us, you know what happened to them immediately they fell? The first thing that happened is that they, they looked to themselves. Those who are going to carry God's dominion, those who are going to be in the kingdom, those who are spirits, they are God-centered. They are not self-centered. Immediately you become self-centered. You become corrupted and you start going bad. It's the same thing that happened to the devil. That's how he corrupted himself. Immediately his focus stopped being God. I will Make my throne. I will ascend to the sides of God. I will, I will, I will be like the most high. Immediately it became about I. It started going bad. Once you become self-centered, when you create a spirit being, that spirit being is not supposed to be looking at self. It's supposed to be looking at God. Immediately that spirit being starts looking at self. Death as, just know that 
spirit of, of engine, spiritual engine has gone off. That's what, that is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about. It's about self-centeredness. And it has a goodness that looks good. I hope you know. The goodness is actually good. The goodness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is man trying to solve problems nobly apart from God. That is, and you know, the spoon of the devil is long. I mean, how the day used to say it. Where you want to stop is not where the devil wants to stop. That's the only problem with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil wants to stop at evil. You, you want to stop at only the good side of it. Have you ever wondered about abortion movements in the church? And you, you, you were really disgusted. Ah, how can you be saying that? You know, use condom as a solution. No, everybody should be um, celibate. And they tell you that you are being big, a bigot. You have been, and two of you are arguing. You can't have an end to the argument. You know why? Because one is driven by the spirit. In fact, some of the people who are also actually pro-life movements, some of them, not all of them, are driven by the same religious spirit. It's not coming from the tree of life. It's coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me give you a simple test for knowing whether this thing is coming from the knowledge of good and evil. It's about self. It's about self. And when it's about self, you can't escape it becoming violent. You say, I don't kill people. Look, get, look at it. Any religion on earth that is based on works, good works, it will become violent. It's the root of terrorism and Al-Qaeda today. It will become violent. I say, well, me, I don't kill people, but you hate people. Have you come across people, if you don't belong to their domination, denomination, they hate you? They can't, they can't stick you. They can't stand you. You don't believe what they believe. And they have a false way, humility way of going about it. They look pious and they bend and they want to enter the ground. But they can't stick you. They can't stand you. And they will malign you. They will speak evil of you. And while at it, they will believe that they have the best revelation in the world. And anybody that doesn't come into their little box of their definition of God is going to hellfire. It's the religious spirit. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But this is, this is our salvation. This is our salvation. The coming of the Lord Jesus, that lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world was slain to remove the sting of death. What is the sting of death? The sting of separation from God. Because what happened? Because we think that what happened is that God said, don't eat it. So they ate it. So God became angry. And then God became angry with everybody. And then Jesus had to come and die. And they had to beat him, beat him, beat him, beat him like that. So that because God is a very angry God. They have to kill him violently for God to have peace. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's because that tree is the poison. That tree is the poison. The sting of that tree is death. The wages of turning from God and turning to self is death. But the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus. The reason why the people that killed Jesus violently like that, the, it was the Pharisees. And it was the same religious spirit that was walking through them. I hope you know. When I said that it become violent, you see what I mean? Uh-huh. They believed in works. It was by works. And anything that stood as an affront to those works, they can't stand it. Take out. And somebody once said that. it was Somebody even said it's the devil. And I, it can't even be there. Because the way he killed him, you will know, you know that even the devil was afraid the way he killed Jesus. He killed Jesus like somebody that was afraid, right? 
So, but the, the, the whole point is that without the shedding of blood, is is a spiritual law. Without the shedding of life, it's not that God used to drink blood, right? But the realm of the spirit works by laws. The realm of the spirit works by what? By laws. You will read some of this in scripture. When scripture will say, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. That is a spiritual law. So, in a, according to eternal spiritual law, you need life to redeem death. And not just any quality of life. That's why under the Old Testament, when you get home, read Hebrews 9. You will understand the difference between atonement and remission. Under the Old Testament, they shed the blood of bulls and goats to atone for sin. That is, to temporarily cover sin. That is what atonement is. It doesn't remove it. It doesn't cleanse the conscience from dead works. It doesn't remit it. But Jesus Christ, the quality of life and the quality of that blood, offered himself once and for all, permanently obtained eternal redemption for us. We are forever, we have been forever perfected, those of us who are being sanctified. That's what Hebrews chapter 9 says. So that's what Jesus did. He shed life. It was by the life of Jesus that we were redeemed. But when you hear blood, it's not that Jesus, God is a winch and is drinking blood at night. Something happened when Adam and Eve fell. The, you know, they sued fig leaves to cover themselves. You know that when God came, what did he do? He killed an animal and used the skin of that animal to quickly cover them. Otherwise, they would have decayed faster. He shed life to preserve them longer. By the time they started having offspring, it was getting worse. You know, they didn't, they didn't, they, they were not, there was no other record of any other sin that he committed. I don't know whether you understand. But what happened when Cain came? He became a murderer. And he was not intending to murder from the beginning. That's the effect of separation from God. The farther that we go from God and focus on ourselves, the more decay sets in. The more death sets in. The more decay sets in, the more death sets in. This is why Jesus came. This is the meaning of redemption. This is why he gave his life. So that those of us who have believed in him, we can be redeemed from the consequences of the fall. The consequence of death. The consequence of, you know, being self-centered. Focusing on self other than focusing on God. And... You know, I'll just say this in closing. Salvation is an ongoing reality. We are saved. We are being saved. And we shall be saved. That's what I mean by salvation is an ongoing reality. We are saved. One. We are being saved. And we shall be saved. One. You are saved as soon as you give your life to Christ. If you will confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that, you know, Jesus is the Lord Christ raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, right? For with the mouth, with the heart, man believes unto what? Righteousness. With the mouth, what? Confession is made unto salvation. That is why if there's anyone here listening to me online that has not yet given their hearts to the Lord, there is no destiny for those who refuse the blood than to go bad. It's called decay. It's worse than hellfire. I don't know whether you understand. What do you incinerate? Is it not rubbish? Do you know what, is a, what an incinerator is? It's a pit of fire where they burn rubbish. What do you incinerate? Do you incinerate valuable things? 
Is it not rubbish that you burn? He said, pack, gather that rubbish. Let uh, the gate man burn it. It's spiritual rubbish that goes into hellfire. Things that have decayed, that have gone bad. Those are the things that are gathered to be burnt. Right? So, at salvation, God saved our spirits instantly. You became awake spiritually. That thing that was only seeing self, eyes were open. Started seeing the realm of the spirit. Started seeing that, oh, life is not about me. Life is about God. You were awakened to the realm of the spirit. And you received the free gift of eternal life. You don't do anything for that. The day I give birth, that day that child is my child. The child doesn't have to behave well, wash plates to become my child. Do you understand? When you believed in Jesus, God gave birth to you. And you are a child of God. You have divine DNA, divine nature. You have eternal life. Now, salvation is also an ongoing experience. Romans chapter 12 talked about the fact that um, we should, how does it say it? Present our bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Then he says that we should not be conformed to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That process is called the salvation of the soul. Now, this is what confuses a lot of Christians. Ah, when you were born again, your spirit became new. It's not about turning a new leaf. You woke up in a new realm. You are a spirit being. It's not about your body. You have a different reality. Okay, I don't feel like that. I still, I still have attraction to the things I had attraction to. I still deal with the weaknesses that I was dealing with. Those things are an issue of the renewal of the mind. Again, it's like a child that you give birth to, that you have to train that child in school for that child to, you know, to participate fully in society. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You have a mind. My mind is a tripartite being. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 talks about God sanctifying you wholly, spirit, soul, and body. So man is a tripartite being. You, have, you are spirit, and then you have a soul. Your soul is the realm of your emotions, thoughts, will. Where your, your will is where your thoughts and emotions are processed into decisions. Those things need to be overtaken by the word of God. It's called the salvation of the soul. That is why when you now read James chapter 1, verse 21, you are no longer confused. It says, receive with what? Meekness. The what? The engrafted word. Which is able to do what? Save your soul. And then you're wondering, am I, and have you met people that will say, James did not understand spiritual realities. Have you met preachers that say things like that? They say, James was not exact. It was only Paul that knew. knew and then when they now read Romans chapter 7, they say, that time Paul was not yet strong. That time he didn't know what he was saying. Bible has confused them. But when you understand that, or when you read in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Bible, verse 9, where Bible talks about receiving the end of your salvation, which is the salvation of it. So now you understand that salvation is also ongoing. And then there is the eventual glorification of the body. That is the one that Romans chapter 8 verse 23 that we read about was talking about. That is when the, the body changes state. Finally. When the body changes state and assumes the glorified state, that is the final or the climax of the redemption of mankind. Because at that time, man can fully live in the realm of God. I would encourage you, read those scriptures, Hebrews chapter 9. Um, read Genesis 1 to 3 and Revelations 21 and 22, right? You know, you, you will understand where we are going. The new heavens and the new earth. 
and you know how the tabernacle of God is going to be with man and our part in that glorious uh, that glorious journey and that's the reason why God have you know God instituted the plan of redemption because his eternal determinate counsel concerning you must be fulfilled even Adam is not strong enough to stop it so the day he called you the day he determined that you had a part in that glorious destiny it was that same in that same season that the lamb was slain because everything that was needed to fulfill your destiny was provided together do you understand that so when you understand that you are living beyond time and you are living something bigger than you then you will understand you know that your your being saved wasn't random it wasn't one day i was just going then Jehovah witness met me and preached to me then i said yes so that they will leave me alone and i don't know what i'm doing in church no it's not that it's not that it's a deliberate divine calling and provision to make sure that all of god's plans and purpose for your life comes to pass can we just pray tonight and just ask that the lord will give us an increasing understanding of what the lord you know has accomplished on the cross for us in terms of our redemption our buying back and our salvation and that increasingly every day we will learn to live in the reality of the call of god upon our lives this call onto divine destiny this walk to this call to walk with god this call that began from eternity is manifesting shortly in time and will still manifest in eternity can we just ask for can we just ask for god to grant us that grace to daily align with his his full plan and will for our lives